chapter 11. As we journey through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, Wednesday night in the book of James, Revelation 11. And then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel said unto me, Rise and measure the temple, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court, and which is the outside of the temple, and do not measure it. For it has been given over to the Gentiles, and they will tread on the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. And these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours them. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in like manner. Now these have power to shut up heaven, so there is no rain that falls on the days of their prophecy. And they have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with all the plagues as they desire. Now when they were finished, their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war with them, overcome them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom in Egypt, and where also our Lord and Savior was crucified. And then those from the people's tribes and tongues and nations will see their dead bodies for three and a half days and will not allow their dead bodies to be put into the grave. And those earth dwellers will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because the two prophets had tormented them on those who dwell on the earth. Now after the three and a half days, a breath of life came from God, entered them, and they stood on their feet. Please note with me, this is the reaction of everybody that sees something like this. And great fear fell on those who saw them. And then I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Coming, Come up here. And they ascended into heaven into a cloud, and their enemy saw them. And so on that same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city, that's Jerusalem, fell. And an earthquake killed 7,000. And the rest were afraid and gave glory to God of heaven. Now the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done for us. We thank you for this study through the book of Revelation, to be encouraged and strengthened, to, Lord, know that this time on planet Earth, man's time, is coming to an end. Man that has rejected your free gift of eternal life. Rejected, Lord, what you have just blessed man with, that he doesn't deserve it. And so, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for those serving in children's ministry today. In Jesus' name, amen. So how did we get to chapter 11? Let's go to chapter 10. I know that was genius, wasn't it? Look in verse 6 of chapter 10. And I swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and all that is in it, 
Here it is. You should have this underlined from last week. That there should be no longer a delay. So if we're looking at our timeline through the book of Revelation, and I know that we've been saying this over the last couple of weeks, we're getting close to that three-and-a-half-year period, the middle portion of that seven-year tribulation period. Well, in chapter 11, we finally get to that middle portion. But what was important was the statement last week, and that's the statement that there should no longer be a delay. And so from chapter 11 on is going to be the last half of the great tribulation. It's going to be wrath. It's going to be uh, God's judgment upon this Christ-rejecting world. And remember how many times we have seen God's mercy, the pause and the pull back from, I mean, utter hell on planet Earth. People continue to reject God and his mercy, knowing what's going to happen. Now, what's interesting is that we're going to see these two witnesses in a minute, but they have been on the scene from day one. A lot of commentaries believe that as soon as that peace treaty was signed, uh, with Israel, with the Islamic nations, that these two witnesses came up because it says that they are there for 42 months, two, uh, two and a half, or, I'm sorry, three and a half years. I got to get my math right. Head cold. And so they have been witnessing. We're going to see what they're doing. So nobody can say during this period of time, I did not know. Amen? Everybody will know What's going on during this? It's not like somebody is in the backwoods who came out of, you know, some log cabin in Alaska. I didn't know what was going on. What's happening? They're going to all know what's happening. So no one will have an excuse, amen? No one will have an excuse. So let's take a look at these two witnesses. I, it says they were dressed in sackcloth, but I, I'm pretty sure it was red, white, and blue. <laughs> Just for today. He says, I was given a reed like a measuring rod. This is John speaking. And an angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple, the altar and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is on the outside of the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread on my holy city for 42 months. So let me show you what the temple mount looks like currently. So we can all recognize this is Jerusalem, the Temple Mount, the exterior walls. Those are the foundational walls from the first temple. Those are not the walls of the temple. That's the foundation of it. The Alaska Mox is to your left. The Dome of the Rock is in the center. And if you can see on the bottom, that is the walls. There were, there were gates down there. And this is what it currently looks like. Now, we had already seen several earthquakes happen in uh, Israel up to this point. Now, I want to show this because there are a lot of people who say, well, the Dome of the Rock has to be destroyed before the new temple could be rebuilt. And that's what chapter 11 is telling us, is that there is a newly rebuilt temple. There will be a temple. In fact, you go to Israel, there is something called the Temple Institute. These guys, that's, that's all they've been doing for decades is getting things ready for the new, newly rebuilt temple. And I don't know about you, but the Jews are very efficient, and they're going to build that sucker in a couple of weeks. Not a couple of years, in a couple of weeks. They'll have that. But I want you to see, so you're looking to the left, right? 
you could see Alaska Moss, the Dome of the Rock, and then see all of the greenery to the right of that. Okay, it's kind of hard to see on these photos. We're going to probably put these online so you can see them in our YouTube page. But there's some gates there that line up perfectly where the old temple used to be. Pastor Chuck used to say this all the time. By the way, you're looking from the Mount of Olives this way to the Temple Mount, which is really cool. So this is where Jesus ascended into heaven. But this is the Mount of Olives, that view of that. And Pastor Chuck used to say all the time, he would sit on that side and he, he would see those gates that have been filled in. And he's like, you know what? There's plenty of room to put the new temple. Remember, the temple is not huge. It's an, actually, it's a very small structure. So there's plenty of room to build on that right side of the Dome of the Rock. Now, why is that important? Let's read our text. He says, rise, verse 1, measure the temple of God, the altar and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is on the outside and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles and they will tread on that holy city underfoot for 42 months. Now, Ezekiel tells us about that, new re, really, uh, that newly rebuilt temple, and it says that it has a wall that is built between the profane and that which is holy. So it's very easy to be able to look at that photo, see that the Antichrist, when he brokered the peace, said, hey, listen, we're going to put a wall up right on the other side of the, the Dome of the Rock, and you Jews will be able to build your newly rebuilt temple. And so what the angel is telling John here is leave out that side because there's more of that side, more of the Gentiles than that which is for the Jews. All that to say is by the end of this chapter, going into the next chapter, we're going to see that the Antichrist will come into that newly rebuilt temple. He will claim himself to be God and everyone to worship him. At that point, the Jews will realize that they killed their Messiah some 2,000 years ago. And then those verses in Matthew and Daniel where it says, and then the abomination of desolation happened, and then the Jews are going to flee, and we're going to see that later on. And so what John is telling us in verse 1 and 2 is that there is this temple, and the ones that are, uh, who, who have been there for the beginning of the tribulation are these two witnesses. So let's take a look at these two witnesses. Verse 3. Yes, three. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. What I find interesting through the Bible is that no one has an excuse before God's judgment that I did not know. It says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Noah was preaching while he was building that ark. It even says that of Lot, that Lot was uh, uh, proclaiming that which was coming ultimately. And so too here, these two witnesses are proclaiming to the world. Now remember, we are living in a day where, where there is modern media, amen? That's good or bad. But like right now, you can go online and you can see uh, the, the, the wailing wall on a camera 24 hours a day. I would imagine at some point somebody like CNN or somebody puts up a, a webcam that will be on these two witnesses 
that you'll be able to go on and see who these guys are. Not us. Why? Because the church is not here. Good. And so it says that they were given power and they were to prophesy. Now, when we think of that word prophesy, we, we think of Nostradamus. We think of things in the future. We think of John telling these things, Daniel, Zechariah. They're, they're prophetic. They're in the future. By the way, Nostradamus didn't know what he was doing. Didn't want to add him into godly people. But when people hear prophecy, that's what they hear. The word prophecy simply means to declare the truth of God. All these guys are doing, I I don't know about you, but I have a feeling that they'll be doing Bible studies from the New Testament. They'll be declaring who Jesus is. Declaring to the world that the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is soon coming. That's pretty powerful. I, I love to hear some of these. But we'll be in heaven having the marriage supper of the Lamb. And it probably won't be on the PA system, so it's okay. Now, it says 1,260 days they were clothed in sackcloth. That the, the, the idea of clothed in sackcloth is an idea of mourning. So these two witnesses are mourning over the state of affairs, not only in the world, but over Israel. And so three and a half years, that leads us to believe that they were here in the beginning until this point where Um, we'll see their demise in a minute. It says in verse 4, notice the ministry of these two witnesses, that they were the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before God on the earth. Now, this is a reference back to the Old Testament, that of Zechariah. And let me read it to you from Zechariah 4, verses 2 and 3. And he said, what do you see? And so he said, I am looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on the top. And on the top of the, the, the stand, seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. And then he says in verse 3, two olive trees are by it, and one of them on the right bowl and one of them on the left bowl. And then he declares in verse 14, he says, these are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. So the Jews are going to know who these guys are because it's a reference to the Old Testament. Remember, if you're witnessing to a Jew, you're not using the New Testament. You're going to be using the Old Testament. And the witnesses are going to be able to say, hey, turn to Zechariah chapter 2, verse 14, and you'll see who we are. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing by uh, the God of the earth. So they are, com- they are completely empowered by the Holy Spirit the entire time they are, they are there. Are they going to eat? Don't know. But we know that they are empowered from on high for this whole time. Now notice in verse 5 it says, and if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds out of their mouth. Now that's just Elijah cool. I'm sorry, I'll repent tomorrow. But you, you look at what man has done to the Jews, what man has done to this Christ-rejecting world, and just for a moment, you have that heart of David. Lord, break their teeth in their mouth. Oh, I'm the only one. <laughs> but we can't do that as believers, right? We live, in a, we live under a new covenant, and now we must 
bless those who curse us. We must love our neighbor, although it does say to put hot coals upon their head. So I'm going to stay with that verse. And so we see these two witnesses, and it says, if anyone wants to harm them. Now, I realize that we're in heaven. We're having the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus is there. Our full attention is on there. But don't you just for one a moment, just, Lord, can you put on the jumble scrum? Put it on for a minute. Because, look, these armies are going to come up, and you can imagine. It's like, Bob, what are you going to do today? Uh, Well, the boss said that we're going to go attack the two witnesses. Okay, I'll film it. And as they come forth to try to kill them, fire proceeds out of their mouth. Pretty intense, which means no one is going to be able to harm these two men. Fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in like manner. That, that is, all right, that's cool. I'm a sinner, saved by grace, but it's still cool. He says, they also have power to shut up heaven. That means it won't rain. He says, so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over water to turn it to blood and to strike the earth with all the plagues as they desire. Now, we have already seen for three and a half years all of these plagues, all of these judgments, right? From the seals to the trumpet blast, all of this has come from God. But it would seem also that they have the power to do that indiscriminately. Which means for three and a half years, remember, it's not like one plague having after another, just boom, boom, boom. There's time gaps. I have a feeling during the time gaps, these guys are like, unleash it. And I've got that perfect voice today for that. (laughs) Unleash the kraken. You know, something like that. And they just unleash whatever, and it's like a day or so. And listen, everybody knows it's them. Everybody knows that these guys are the ones pouring that on them. Maybe they're doing a Bible study about Egypt and the plagues. Whatever they're doing, they're showing the power of God, that they are endued with power from on high and that nobody can touch them. Verse 7, I want you to note this and then underline it. We'll read it, come back. And when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. Note the word testimony there, that these are a witness to God. They stand as God's witness on planet earth. And only when God decides that they are done with the testimony and the witness are they allowed to be taken out. Everybody see that? Now, I I made this statement before. I'm going to continue to make this statement. You and I are invincible until God deems it the time that we go home. But I have to use the statement as always, you can't be dumb and stand in front of a bus and go, I'm invincible, Pastor Ron said, then you'll be in that rubber room in heaven. Be like, God's like, we had to put him in there. But I love this because, listen, I've traveled around the world and people are like, oh, watch out for those people, they'll put a curse on you. Do you know nothing affects the believer? Nothing. So you can go wherever it is on planet Earth, and someone says, I'm going to curse you. Go, go right ahead. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. 
And so I worship the true and the living God who has all power to, to not only protect me, but take you out at the same time. So when they finished, so just circle that word finish. Underline it if you need to. This is true for us. Everybody is going to die. We all know that. Ten out of ten people are dying. Nobody is escaping this aside from us being translated, raptured. If that does not happen in your lifetime, you will die. We always die of the last thing we get sick of, right? (laughs) Typically how it works. And death is always around us at all times. But for the believer, are you ready for it? It's a joy. How, what, are we weirdos? Like, you tell somebody who doesn't know Jesus that, they think that you're nuts. It is a joy because I walk out of this world into the next, and I hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I get a hug from my Messiah. That's joy. Therefore, I can live on a crazy planet with all that is going on at any given moment and, and rest in that. It brings me great joy. It also brings me great grief when I'm around those who don't believe in the same thing. You go to a funeral. My family's headed to a funeral in California this week. Pray for them. I'm not joining them because of this blessing. <clears throat> but it's, it's like that isn't it? You go to a family funeral. The person doesn't know Christ. You know that. They've lived their life against God for themselves in a worldly manner, right? And it grieves you. It grieves you because of the statements that the family make. Oh, Uncle Bob's in a better place. And I don't want to debate that. That is not the time to debate it. But every once in a while, I want to say, prove it. Prove that Uncle Bob lived his life for God. Because I can show you a life that isn't lived for God. But don't do that. (laughs) Or the the meal afterward would just be awkward. But it, it is our responsibility then to bring comfort to those at that moment and say to them, listen, Death is for everybody. It is coming for everybody. And are you ready to meet your maker? You will either meet him as a king, he is our king, or you'll meet him as judge. And I love these two witnesses. Let's get to it and then we'll keep reading and then we'll try to figure out who these guys are. And so they finished their testimony. And the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. Now, we will get to this beast, but this is the devil. He is, it is at the midpoint. He will indwell the Antichrist, who will, we'll see this later. I know I'm talking fast. Who will be assassinated, but uh, will, uh, the devil will come into him and give him power to raise from, the, uh, from death. But it says he makes war against them and he overcomes them and he kills them. And then it's just weird from this point on, isn't it? Verse 8, 
And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. So this is Jerusalem. Egypt bondage. Sodom, just depravity. And it says, where our Lord was also crucified. And then in verse 9, it says, Then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies for three and a half days and not allow their bodies to be put into the grave. So, they're there at the newly rebuilt temple. They're prophesying for three and a half years. They've got the camera on them, the webcams on them. You could see it at any moment, any time. And I don't want to bring up Star Trek, but it's going to be pretty cool. There's going to be like some universal translator or something. Everyone will be able to hear that. I don't know how that's going to happen, but it may just be supernatural. No matter what your tongue is, when you see these men, you will hear in your own language. Unbelievable. So now, at some point, the beast comes up. It's going to be uh, the Antichrist coming, indwelled by the power of the devil, and he will kill them. Will it be him? Could very well be. How powerful was that if you see that on TV? He walks up with a gun and just executes these two. Could very well be that. Remember, their testimony is done. God has now, he's going to call them home, but he still has a purpose for them. Guys, even in our death, God has a purpose. And he uses us for his purpose and for his glory. Even through the sicknesses that we have, even through all that we go through, we are a testimony and a witness to the power of God in our life. So now on the webcam, now on everybody's mobile device, there's an alert that pops up. They're dead, right? You know those amber alerts we get on our phone? There'll be a profit alert. And it'll pop up, and it'll say they're dead, and the video will be there, and people will see it. They'll they'll see it in all of their languages. But it says for three and a half days, Their bodies will not be put into the grave. They will just lay there. Pretty pretty gruesome, isn't it? But it says in verse 10, if this scene doesn't get any weirder, and those who dwell on the earth, the earth dwellers, will rejoice over them being killed. They will make merry. That means they will party. And they will send gifts to one another. It's The prophets are dead holiday. Now, what I find fascinating here is that Hallmark is going to have to move quick. (laughs) Always making up new holidays. But how weird is this scene? For two and a half years, God's witnesses are standing there in sackcloth, preaching, giving the testimony of the Lamb of God. And then one day, the Antichrist walks up, kills them. Everybody's excited. Why? Because we'll see in a minute, they know who has been tormenting them. And so now their bodies are laying there, and the Antichrist says, listen, we've got to pump up the economy, so go out and buy. Go out and send gifts. Everybody's going to be drinking, it's going to be drugs, it's going to be presents. I don't know what you give someone for the two prophets are dead holiday. 
Is it a sweatshirt? Is it a tie? What is this gift? But think about that word Mary. They are so excited that they will probably be in a drunken stupor. I know that's not hard to believe. And then it says, they sent gifts to one another because the two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth, the earth dwellers. Now, after three and a half days, excuse me. Now, after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw that. Now, again, let's just get into the scene, shall we? You're at your buddy's house making merry and handing out gifts, right? They got those poppers, they're popping them. They've got fireworks because they're Americans and they like to blow stuff up. That's what we do. And they're all giving, they're drinking and they're just making, and then all of a sudden, I don't know why they still have the camera on them, but they still got the camera on them. And all of a sudden, a finger moves. Did you see? Did you see that? His finger moved. No, it didn't. Toe, arm. Now listen to the response of these people. It says, the breath of life came from God. By the way, that is a principle that everybody needs to know. Man doesn't create life, God does. He is the author of life. Therefore, man does not have the option to kill life to murder. And so the breath of life entered them and they stood on their feet again. This arm moves, this arm moves, and the camera is still on them. And these two guys get up. Do they still have the blood dripping down off? You know, is there a stain? They just stand right up. Now, In America, we have this strange fascination with death. We have created horror movies, and the 80s were just a terrible time for those. I'm a product of it. It's our fault. Sorry. I usually blame everything on the 60s, but I can't. It's our fault. And we have this weird fascination. I mean, they still make these movies. I don't know about you, but as a believer, I can't even like see the trailer of them, which is good. That means a transformed life, by the way. But we have this weird fascination with death and gore and everything. And so now they get up. This is the the pinnacle of their worst horror film of all time. Because the two that were tormenting them are now alive, and they're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, Is it going to go on for another three and a half years? Would you be thinking that? I would. Uh Uh-oh. Notice, and great fear. What is great fear? It's great fear. Think about your greatest fear, like what it did to you. It's weird, isn't it? Fear is weird, isn't it? And I'm not talking about fear over COVID or anything like that. I'm talking about an actual Let me give you an example. I'm in a tent 
in the Sierra Nevada mountains with my entire youth group. I've got 30 some odd kids in there. They're all intense. And all I hear in the middle of the night is bear. That'll create great fear in you. Because I'm thinking, how am I going to explain this to the parents? Your kid was eaten by a bear. And I took them. But for that moment when I did wake up from a dead sleep and hear bear, it's that shiver that goes down your spine. Now that's nothing compared to what the world just saw of these two guys. Why? Because they thought they were rid of them. But they're not rid of them. And now they're back on their feet. So great fear fell on those who saw them. And then they, who are the they? Well, it's not only the earth dwellers, but it's the two witnesses. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud and their enemies saw them. So they stand up and then the entire world hears, come up here. Like, where did that come from? It's booming. The entire planet hears it. Remember, the tribulation is a global event. So now they hear, come up here. And it says clearly in verse 12, I don't know how clearly it can be, their enemies saw them, we're going to see, ascend into heaven. Now, we have like superhero movies and Marvel and Superman and all these things. People are, But no one has ever seen anybody do this. That is why Jesus Christ is the testimony for this planet because until you can prove to me that another guy came out of a tomb, I'm not going to believe it. But because our God did and he conquered death on our behalf, he's the go-to guy. He ascended into heaven just like these did. Therefore, he has the power to do that. It says, and they saw them ascend into heaven. Now, two, two things probably. Woo! They're gone. But notice what happens as soon as they remove their foot from planet Earth. Verse 13, that same hour, there was a great earthquake. And a tenth of the city fell, that's Jerusalem. And in the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to God of heaven. So as soon as they depart, a great earthquake happens to Jerusalem. What is it going to do to the uh, the structures that are on the Temple Mount, where, what is it going to do to the structures in and around the city? It doesn't say. It just says a tenth of the city fell and 7,000 people died. I find it interesting in verse 13, do you not? Because we haven't seen this yet in Revelation. It says that the rest were afraid. We've seen that. But they gave glory to God of heaven. We haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen the earth dwellers, but it it could very well be, let let me just pose this. Pastor, you could be wrong. I don't care. I'm in the marriage supper of the Lamb and we're in heaven, and it doesn't really matter. But it could very well be, but he is speaking about the Jews, just the Jews who are in and around Jerusalem, who have gathered together. They're there because of these witnesses, because of the 144,000 speaking the truth of God. It could very well be 
that this group of people were now, the Jews were like, uh-oh, did we mess up 2,000 years ago? Because it, in a, when we see Antichrist walk into the temple and claim himself to be God, they will know that for the, at that moment. But the rest were afraid and gave glory to God of heaven. So who are these two guys? I don't know. There has been a long debate who they are. There are several uh, plausible, good possibilities. One is Enoch. Enoch was translated, remember him, in Genesis 5. He was taken unto, unto heaven. He never died. Elijah never died. We, we're pretty certain it's Elijah is one of them because uh, fire proceeds out of his mouth. But let me just say this before I go any further. It could just be two guys. It doesn't always have to be this, oh, it's whoever. But it could be. And so Enoch, because he never died, because Elijah, he never died, it could very well be that these two are there. It could be that it's Moses and our buddy Elijah. They were on the Mount of Transfiguration. They already got into the, the promised land. Jesus had a conversation with them. What was that conversation like? Hey, guys, when you come back here, this is what I want you to do. Could very well be. Now, why would Moses and Elijah be powerful? Well, they represent the law and the prophets. And to the Jew, that is everything. So if you were going to unpack, let's just leave aside the earth dwellers. If you're going to impact the Jewish nation, what better two guys than the lawgiver, Moses, and the greatest prophet, Elijah? And do they have name tags? Do they have little dangles? It says all access pass on it. Hi, I'm Moses. But whoever they are, everybody will know who they are. That's what I find interesting. But I find it interesting that they are probably like these two. Some have said uh, like Zechariah and Zerubbabel. I mean, there's all kinds of people in their, their ministry. Joshua has been floated around as one possible. At the end of the day, guys, it doesn't matter to us. It only matters to them. And whatever and whoever it is, it will be very powerful. But it, I think it's going to be a powerful testimony to the nation of Israel. And lastly, in their verse 14, now I say lastly, but I'm not done with the chapter. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming. And so the seventh angel sounded. We've been waiting for the seventh angel to sound for chapters now, right? And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom's of our Lord and his Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. It would seem that the seventh trumpet blast is not one of judgment, but of declaration of who God is. Now, ultimately, the seventh not only does this declaration, but it will eventually open up the seven bold judgments that are coming, which are the worst in our seven-year period of time. But... Uh, Look at this scene. Two witnesses killed three and a half days, still lying there. Life comes in them. They stand. The, the whole world's freaked out, right? 
they go up into heaven. And as soon as they're gone, this great earthquake happens. Now great fear comes upon everybody. And then you hear this. The kingdoms of the world have become the kingdoms of our, of our Lord. You see, what God is declaring to the earth dwellers is you think you're in control, but I'm really in control. And that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and they worshiped God, saying, We give thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken great power and reigned. And they continue, The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. And then the temple of God was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thundering, and an earthquake and great hail. So uh, imagine this scene for just a minute, right? Two witnesses, they go, earthquake. All of a sudden, they hear this. And then it says in verse 19, which I it's just amazing. It says that it's open. There's just a veil there, you know that. Many think, and I, I don't want to go down this path, that the, God is in a different dimension than we are. And all it takes is for him to pull back the veil. And so, I mean, remember the angels who uh, were the, the choir, right, in Bethlehem? It just says all of a sudden they appear. They just pulled back the veil. Elijah and his servant, the servant was freaking out of, God's armies were all around the hills, and he just goes, Lord, just open up my dumb servant's heart. Or he didn't say dumb, but, and all of a sudden, he saw the Lord's army standing behind the armies of God. And he says, hey, there's more of us than them. So what is amazing for mankind to actually look into heaven? just for a moment. Now remember, we're at the three and a half year period of time. Is this not the grace and the mercy of God? Again, pulling back just a moment, giving everybody the opportunity. Hey guys, for three and a half years, you've seen my witnesses. You've heard them declare who Jesus is. You killed them. I raised them back to life like I did my son. He ascended, they ascended, great earthquake, And now for a moment you heard these things and saw. When the children of Israel saw the things on Mount Sinai, when it was all said and done, they said, Moses, don't ever do that again. You just talk to God. We don't want to hear him anymore. But God is giving man the opportunity at the middle point here. Nobody can say when they stand before him, I didn't know what was going on. This is God's mercy, and this is God's grace. Well, Lord willing, read ahead next week. We will get into the beasts, the devil, Israel, all kinds of things for chapter 12. Read ahead. Let's pray. Father, thank you. 
for your compassion and your love towards man. Lord, for thousands of years, you have given man the opportunity to accept or reject your love. Thank you, Lord, for the, for the book of Revelation. The unveiling of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And that you have given everyone the opportunity to accept that free gift of eternal life. Thank you, Lord, for our day of freedom in our own nation. A nation that has never done what we have done. And we did it, Lord, with the foundation of the Bible. Of laws based on your word. Continue, Lord, to bless this nation. To allow us, Lord, the freedoms to proclaim your word. And if not, Lord, if it's our time that we would stand firm in the days of persecution. So, Lord, thank you for our time, and thank you, Lord, for those served. In Jesus' name, amen.